This podcast discusses difficult topics that may not be appropriate for all listeners. We are not doctors or therapists. None of our content should be construed as medical advice, nor as a substitute for professional help. Names and other specific identifying details are often changed for the privacy and protection of our guests. Our guests' experiences are shared as they experienced them. Opinions may not reflect the opinions of Beck and Ella or this podcast. There will also be adult language used. Lots of it. Listener discretion strongly advised. Hi, Beck. Hey, Ella. How are you? I'm good. How's it going? It is good. Welcome back to our show. See, we actually have listeners now. We you do. know how exciting that is? It is so like, exciting. Not just people who know us. <laughs> like strangers have reached out to me and said they've enjoyed our podcast. So I wanted to start out by saying thank you to people who are listening. We literally do a little happy dance every time someone else listens. It's very, very exciting. Yeah, the um, line so just keeps you. going up, up, up. And it's so exciting <laughs> yeah. to see. So we've thank added you. several yes. countries this week. Um, oh, yeah, we're in the down under now. Seen. Yeah, yeah, um, it's been super great. So thank everyone for liking, commenting, sharing, and listening. So thank you for that. Today we are in the studio with Maggie. Maggie is here to tell us the story about her ex. And without further ado, Maggie, tell us a little bit about you. Sure. My name's Maggie. I live in the Midwest and I am a medical esthetician and mother of two. Okay, wonderful. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks for so joining us. So you want us. to start by telling us how you met the person we're going to be talking about today? I met him in 1997 at work. He was charming, good-looking, funny. I thought I'd met my match. We went on a date. Everything was great. Then the fourth date happened. There was a strange thing that I should have ran and I didn't. He tried to, he was almost forcing me to ride a mechanical bill. And I was wearing a below the knee length skirt. It was really hot out and I wasn't wearing underwear because of the weather. And I told him, no, no, I can't. I'm not wearing underwear. I'm in a skirt. And he is almost pushing me on it to where the employees, the men working the mechanical bull had to tell him to back off. I didn't want to get on. Should have ran right there, but I didn't. It became off and on and we kind of just, you know, dated off and on, had fun. Everything was great. And out of the blue, he proposed and I accepted. And then shortly after that, he moved in. My parents had just died, I think is an important part of the story. I think that's a matter of fact, I know that's why the red flags were ignored. I was 27, which is a full-fledged adult. But when you lose both parents, sometimes it puts you back in like a child state of mind. Right. Yeah. Because you do, you actually feel alone. There's a underlying, you're just terrified. There's no fallback. And I think that's why I kind of rushed into the marriage, just the scared of being alone. 9-11 happened and the economy tanked. Mm -hmm. And I, I just panicked in a sense. Scary time. It was. It was. I didn't know what was going to happen financially. I'm in a luxury business and we're the first to go broke when there's an economy issue. Right. So we got married. Things got a physically abusive before the marriage. I still married him because I thought it was a stress planning the wedding. He came to my bridal shower accusing me of cheating and held me up by my shirt off the ground against the wall. I still married him. The marriage, he did everything a horrible husband could do. He was physically abusive. He was mentally abusive. He had a child with another woman. Just you name it, he did it. We divorced 15 years after the marriage, a very contentious divorce that was really dragged on, which is very typical of personality disorders and abusers. Mm -hmm. So that was dragged out. He got way more time with our daughter than he should have been afforded being the abuser that he was. The courts didn't care that he physically abused me. They only cared about physical abuse towards our daughter, which only spankings had happened, and they weren't concerned with that. So he started spanking her. I knew it was coming from anger. 
They let it go. After the divorce, we had several calls to DSS for his physical abuse. He had dragged her around the house by her ankles, thrown her on beds, backhanded her so hard that her head hit her grandmother's Mm. and like it gave them both big knots. He's gotten away with all of it. Fast forward, we're back in the court process. They don't care about any of that. They don't care that he was arrested and charged for attacking a woman at a bar, hitting on a woman in her young 20s. When she decided to decline and push him away, he pulled her by her hair, grabbed her throat, and was forcing his hands down her pants when bar, I guess, like the bouncers came over and pulled him off. Witnesses, the DA dropped it for what they said was lack of evidence. The DA didn't reach out to one of this gal's witnesses, not one. Mm-hmm. This is what my ex, this is the story of his life. He is enabled by everyone, schools, police, the courts. Everybody seems to feel bad for him when he abuses. When I separated from him and lived in my own place, I was in a rental and he came over about to knock the door down. I called the police and they came and I see him out there patting my husband on the back, consoling him. This was giving me anxiety. I don't like police out in front of my home. It's embarrassing to me. That's why I moved. The whole thing was making me panic, afraid that neighbors would know my story, which I was trying to run from. So I opened the door and said, "Um, can you please have him leave? The cop charged at me, pointing his finger straight in my face and yelled for me to get inside. They went back out and started consoling my husband. There's another where he hit me with a mop stick. My face was bad. It was obvious that I was beat. They didn't arrest him because he said it was an accident. They asked me if it was an accident. And I said, well, I don't, I I wouldn't know that because I wasn't holding the mop stick. The reason I answered that way is because they asked me in front of my husband at the time who had just hit me with the mop stick. If anybody knows anything about this, if we would have went back inside, if I would have said something to the police, right. uh, that would have been scary for me. And even if they would have taken him in, he would have gotten bell and gotten out. So when people say, why don't, why don't these women report it? Yeah. Right. That's why. Watch the dash cam or the Gabby Bettino probably hours before she was killed. Yeah. They wanted to arrest her before they ever wanted to arrest him. And the call was, we see a man beating a girl, hitting a girl. Same thing. They were consoling him, laughing. If you're beat by someone and you see that, there's no way you're going to tell the story. Right. right. There's an absolute lack of trust. Mm-hmm. So that's when people say, I don't understand why they don't go for it. That's why. Because where I have been called a liar more than I haven't. Well, and also, if even if they do something, let's say they take them in, mm-hmm. they're out four hours later, and now you're going to deal with a bigger wrath mm-hmm. than you were dealing with before you called for help. Exactly. Now I'm um, I'm not the abused wife anymore. Now I'm a liar. I'm selfish. I have an ego. I care more about myself than my daughter. And all of this is because I won't co-parent with him. His idea of co-parenting in the beginning, he said we needed to speak every night about Mary's day. No. The real reason of that is why he wanted to talk to Mary every night. He, first thing he said is, he never asked her about schools. What did you have for dinner? The reason he asked that is because if we were to have dinner with someone, she'd say, oh, we went with two, and he'd know who I'm with and where I hang out. Mm-hmm. So I would refuse this and say, I would hang up the phone when he said, what'd you do? And that was the beginning of his starting the parental alienation is um, me trying to keep boundaries and keep him out of my personal life, he considered parental alienation. So he's never dropped it. He's dropped it some because now he knows it's the abuser's go-to. And he knows a lot of psychiatry. Most psychiatrists feel that um, there's no such thing as parental alienation because 
kids know how they feel about someone and who and how they're treated. People don't give children enough credit. I'm a child of divorce. My parents were contentious. I didn't want them around each other. It scared me. And you could cut the tension with a knife. So when the courts say it's best for the children, if the parents are amicable, yeah, it is. But they're divorced for a reason. Not everybody can do that. My thing all along is let's keep it a business partnership, email only, to the point like I'm your boss and you're my boss. No jabs, none of your thoughts, none of my thoughts or opinions. Pick up times and facts. He refuses to do this. There's always a jab. Um, he calls me disgusting. There's a huge back and forth because he won't He won't accept no. The guardian at Lightham in this case feels like I won't co-parent because she doesn't see things as him calling me disgusting and not taking no for an answer and calling me names. She doesn't see a problem with it. She thinks I have to try to fuck it up. But it's not co-parenting is what she doesn't understand. That's not co-parenting. Arguing is not co-parenting. The kids are around for this. There's not always an opportunity to step out and go off on your husband. And the other thing is, is if all you're going to do is argue, you don't need to co-parent. There should be no speaking on the phone. It should be text and email only. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, a lot of court officials feel that way. Unfortunately, I have a guardian at Lydum that does not believe in mental illness. She does not believe in domestic violence. She thinks if it was that bad, you should leave. She's mentioned, I've never brought up domestic violence until this case, which is completely untrue. My ex was in an abuser's group for years that he was kicked out of because they said he was using the abuser's group to become a more undetected savvy abuser. Mm. That's how he learned how to work the police. He learned that if he goes to the police or anybody with it first, then they're going to go by his story. And he goes to them with, it's an accident or I'm of course crazy. And he's trying to calm me down. That's what he told my family and my oldest daughter for years. If they only knew they would understand. So, and that's still what I deal with today. He tells my younger daughter this. My daughters are 20 years apart. So the guardian litem refuses to, to call the doctors from the abusers group who treated the whole family. They treated him for, dom- for domestic violence. Myself is a victim and survivor of domestic violence. And my daughter through this network is, all, is also listed as his victim. So with all that being said, the courts don't give a shit. They only give a, they only care about what's happening this week. He hasn't hit her this week. They don't care. Yeah, someone smokes a joint and loses their children. <laughs> it's just like so backwards and fucked up. I mean, in like a state like ours that doesn't allow anything, they'll take somebody's child because they smoke weed but they won't take from the opposite parent who's an abusive piece of shit right. over and over and over again. I've seen that. I had a friend whose uh, mother died and his dad was long gone and he had a much younger sister. He smoked pot. He was an adult single man, but he was an adult, 28. They wouldn't let him have a sister because he smoked pot. Meanwhile, they gave her to a family that she ended up running away from when she was 12. I mean, what's the point? Yeah. I agree. The, re- the reason we're back in the court process is also typical of abusers is they have to find a way to continue the circle. Mm-hmm. And since he wasn't getting anywhere with the co-parenting, he couldn't force me to speak to him. I said, we're going to keep it emails. It drove him crazy that I only would email and text. So he stopped paying child support. That's how he was gonna control me. He was gonna control me through child support. He lived with his mom, his car's paid for. He's on an insurance, he's on his mother's insurance with her. So, you know, if he doesn't have the money, of course she's gonna have to pick it up. Same with his phone. So he had zero bills. He lived with his mother. 
COVID happened, quarantine happened. Once again, I'm in a luxury business, gone. I hadn't had much money saved because of because of the divorce and still trying to get back on my feet. I went through all savings during quarantine and was still in the hole, had some credit cards to pay up on because I was just concerned with my rent because my landlord was a senior citizen on fixed income. So I wanted to get them taken care of first and let credit cards lax and whatnot. So after the quarantine was over, I was offered a job in Springfield, Missouri, which is about three hours from my home. I took the job in a panic. It offered great health insurance. I made a wage I could live on, and that didn't even count the commission. Great deal. I sent the XAN with you not paying child support. I'm taking off to Springfield. It's a three-hour drive. I will bring, I will drive Mary up to you every weekend. That will still give you the same amount of time you have with her. Before that, he had every other weekend and every Thursday night. The Thursday was going to be impossible with us being in Springfield. So I switched it to every other weekend. He still took me to court. That was a year and a half, almost two years ago. Yeah, it's two years ago this August. It's still dragging on. Meanwhile, with it dragging on, they gave him sole custody because I moved to Springfield. They gave him, they changed the order and gave him temporary sole legal custody. Um, As soon as he got that, he didn't let me see my daughter for three weeks longest we had ever been separated in that time he was able to brainwash her and explain to her that this is what I want I'm lying to her because I don't want her to know the truth she doesn't she can't take care of you anymore I explained this to the judge he told her so our relationship hasn't gotten back to the closeness it was with him still having sole custody He's just keeping her brainwashed until the trial. But she knows her dad, and so what she is is she's just very confused. Because, you know, she knows her dad's not the best guy, and she knows I don't hit her, I don't physically abuse her, and I'm not bad to her in, in general. I've had people in my home monitoring my parents for two and a half straight years because of him. He was putting it out there to all the schools, that I was just this toxic, volatile person that's impossible to live with, and that was Mary's struggles. He'd get the schools on board with this because he's very charming and good-looking. I hate to say it, he's only able to do this with middle-aged females. I hate to say that, but that's his target. That's who he can get, is women that have been in sexless marriages for years, and they can see, you know, he's good-looking, and he gives them this attention. Right. So I run into that a lot. They gave him sole custody. The first thing he did was take her off her medications. She slipped down very far to a deep depression where she was suicidal and wouldn't leave her room and wouldn't go to school. That's what taking her off her meds cold turkey did to her. Anybody that's on medication knows a lot of them, if you go to cold turkey, it's torture. It's absolutely dangerous too. It's dangerous. It's cruel. It's, it's a cruel thing to do. Well, I'm on effects or they say to go into rehab to, to, to wing off of it. I mean, it's a serious thing winging off your, your meds. So he took her off, which put her into a suicidal, not going to school. Wouldn't that be against doctors or against medical advice? Oh, absolutely. And we tried to um, relay that to the guardian litem. She wasn't taken to it. It was my lawyer explaining it to her. And she very she sent an email back to my lawyer, basically slamming my lawyer like she was some sort of idiot. She says, I'm not going to simply give the child back to her mother because of the medications. It's an adjustment period, she called it, and things will be fine once her and her dad are able to rebond, is what she put, meaning she was falling for the whole Mary's problems are parental alienation syndrome. She's falling into that. She's ignoring all Mary's doctors. She, a matter of fact, wouldn't speak, sign the release to speak to one of them. She won't talk to the doctor that treated my husband and myself in the abusers program here in town. She hasn't talked to any past doctors, any past therapists. 
the people that I had in my home for two years to see that it wasn't toxic and poisonous. Um, my ex-husband called them to come into them with the help of the school because he had had them brainwashed. It took them one visit to see that nothing was going on that he described. They went to my home first and saw that it wasn't really what he was describing. Then they went to his home, realized in one visit that he had a personality disorder and he was abusive. He gaslighted my daughter in front of the social worker. He dysregulated her to then where she was unable to get back on track. Then as soon as he got her that way, he went to the sitter's kitchen table like this and kind of shaking, acting like he was a victim, the social worker wrote in the notes. And that's him in a nutshell. He likes to get people dysregulated, just poking and poking. And then when you're dysregulated, crying, whatever, he stands back and it's like, whoa, I can't deal with this crazy. So he does that to his own daughter. And years of that, she hasn't been able to get better. She just had a like an ADHD diagnosis. She's now on a mood stabilizer. And this is what was said to us all along, that if we didn't get her PTSD in on track so that she wasn't stuck in a, a fear or a flight or a fight mode, it would turn into bipolar depression. And that's what's happened. Thanks to the guardian litem taking her off her meds and sent her to her doubts for two years. Her condition that was getting better, she was making straight A's. She was on the honors program. She's in the high IQ club. Take her off her meds, send her to her dad. She flunked that year. She didn't go to school. She had to come back to my home for me able to get her back in school, which what I had to do was take her to a hospital to get her back on her meds. She stayed there for three days. I got her back in school. She was able to complete the school year. The school year's over, so the guardian line feels, well, everything's back to normal. Send her back to her dad's. That's why I have to deal with. Meantime, the judge knows none of this. We go to court, like, monthly. The judge doesn't know anything that's going on. She relays nothing to him. All she relays to him and says is the order speaks for itself, and it needs to stay, stay how it is, meaning he gets full sole legal custody, and I have nothing. And bear in mind, I've been the dominant parent since birth. I'm the, I'm the one she comes to when she's sick. I'm her, I'm her source of contentment, right, in the family. And she lives with him full time, who she can't trust because he's physically abusive. She's scared of him. When somebody physically abuses you, you're not going to share with them, right? No, no. She's all alone over there in a nutshell. And her, her condition's just getting worse. She feels like nobody loves her. She spends her days even medicated now in her room. It's just, it's, it's horrible what, the, what the, uh, the courts have been able to do. They can just destroy someone. And there's no one, what, what do you do when a, when a court destroys your child? There's nobody to go to. They're it. They're the top. And they are, they've caused more harm than anyone. The schools have gotten into it too much in the middle. And since most of the schools are women, they, there's something about them that he, everybody just smiles and listens and agrees with everything he says. They won't even look at me in the eye once that, that he's talked to them. I get this. People will not even look me in the eye. The school went to him, as I said, to a mental facility trying to get this at-home care where they could monitor me. I actually said, fine, I want to do it. You know, I thought it was a great idea because I kind of knew what would happen, and it did. That school counselor never apologized to me. She saw in that meeting, she dropped from it, the one that was helping him dropped from it. Because in the meeting, he screamed, he grabbed things out of my hand, and she looked stunned. And we never saw her again. She dropped from it. But she never apologized, never said she made a mistake, never called back to say, I think I made a mistake bringing father in here. None of that. When people realize they've made a mistake and they read them wrong, they back off real quick and you never see them again. The only one that hasn't done that, unfortunately, is the guardian litem. She is sticking to it. No matter how many people reach out to her, 
no matter how many things I'm able to show her, she's sticking to it. Well, it's amazing to me that you would be in a position like that. I went through victim advocacy training for my state and Mm -hmm. they talk about those things so much of like identifying Mm -hmm. abusers and how they're using the court system to continue to abuse. And like, Mm -hmm. how do you even end up in a position like that if you don't believe in mental health? Yeah. What do you mean you don't believe in mental health? She doesn't say she doesn't believe in it. She doesn't say that her actions say it. Right. The fact that I begged her and said, just what I said to you, how cruel it was. And you just can't quit meds cold turkey. My lawyer tried to explain it to her. She didn't give two shits. She thought it was just an adjustment period. How long is an adjustment period? Um, She's also a slippery slope. Is She's sending my daughter to Christian counselors. Uh, Neither Uh, or I are of the Christian faith. I can't see how she can do that. I went to a school called St. Gabriel's here in Kansas City. I went there in the 70s and 80s. Both the priests that there were there in the time were sexual predators. One would rape the females and one raped small boys. There's a documentary about Father Reardon on Netflix right now. He was the principal of my school for many years. The guardian item knows this and she sends my daughter to a Christian counselor. I think that's uh, once again cruel because I've never allowed my children alone in a church, church activities, anything like that, because of what happened to me, I'm very hypervigilant and know that predators surround themselves and children in mm-hmm. churches, especially because it's a cover up. Yep. Christians are known for very, very much trust, trusting other Christians. I'm sure other religions are the same way. I don't know. Right. But she's sending my daughter to a Christian counselor where they, her counselor has hashtag Christian counseling and everything. My daughter has serious diagnoses. Jesus can't help her. She right. needs no. psychiatrists, meds, and intense behavioral therapy. And the Christian counselor doesn't provide any of those things? No, they just talk to her. There's no behavioral therapy. She needs a behavioral therapy. She's having significant troubles with her behavior. So, and it's not not all on her. I come from a family of autism and ADHD. We all have our diagnosis and that's why I know what she needs. Because I know what I went through and what I need. And just like Mary, when you have a diagnosis and then a major trauma happens, it's hard to untangle. It is. When you're a child, it's very hard to untangle. And she needs to untangle all her trauma so she doesn't create more. And the guardian litem is not allowing it. Does your lawyer say there's any option to ever get a different guardian ad litem or have a judge here outside of... That's the problem. What I've learned through this is a lawyer isn't going to go against another lawyer because it's all networking. What you need is you need a lawyer that lives in a different town that doesn't give a hoot about, you know, stepping on a lawyer's toes in that county. But lawyers won't take cases if they don't know the judge. So there's the problem there. I tried hiring an attorney from Springfield and having them come here, which would have cost a lot of money, but I felt like that's what I needed because nobody will step on anyone's toes because they they play golf with them. She said, good luck finding someone that will take a case where they don't know of the judge. It's like, a, you know, kind of how they operate. So yeah, the lawyer didn't really do much to help. We're at the point now where since it's been dragged on so long, neither one of us have attorneys. It's gotten to so costly for just rewriting a parenting plan that neither one of us can afford an attorney any longer. And especially this whole thing started because I left town because I went through my savings during quarantine without him paying child support or providing her with health insurance. She didn't have health insurance. He had her put on Medicaid. That doesn't cut it when you have a diagnosis. She needs a psychiatrist that can make time for her. When you have Medicaid, they only have about three minutes to spend with her. They have a caseload, as you can imagine. 
they don't have the time. It's not that they're not good or qualified. It's the time. They simply don't have the time. They have a caseload. Right. So, you know, that's where we're at. I went to be able to support my daughter, get her insurance. I was dragged back by the courts. He got custody. She still doesn't have insurance. She lives with me still the majority of the time, and he still doesn't have to pay child support because he just lies and tells the guardian lied him. She she, it's equal time. That's not. She listens to him. She even writes emails to us and says, is the parenting time still 50-50? He put back yes, and I put back absolutely not. And she went with his, what he said. She doesn't check into anything. She asks us both and then goes with what he requests without checking into anything. So he has custody, but you're still getting lots of time. Yes, I still have her all the time, Good, but he has custody. So he has decision-making power, but you have her like physically. Right. And then when I tried to get her the behavioral therapy she needed, he shut it down. I asked him, I sent the email to him and the guardian litem. Not only did they shut it down, she then sent me an order that if I did so, I'd be in contempt. But he's not in contempt for not paying child support? No, no. He also, here's a good one. He hasn't turned in his discoveries his interrogatories, we have a trial and they haven't forced that on him either. He doesn't have to do his interrogatories, which you can't have a trial without it. So I'm gonna go file something on that this week, but I don't know how. That's been my holdup. There's something I can file for him not turning in his interrogatories, but I don't know quite how to go about that, but it will get done. Yeah, it's just like how much the court system, it's almost like it's not set up for the child's for the best child's, interest. Yeah. Absolutely not. This has all been about lawyers dragging it out to get a paycheck and the guardian lied him just being besotted with You can see it in court. She sits real stern, frowning with her glasses on like this. When gets on the stand and talks, it's, the glasses are off and wow. just agreeing. It's, it's, it's sick. My doctor went with me to the last hearing and he said she needs to be turned in for negligence. That's a double-edged sword, as you know. Right. That mm-hmm. could upset the judge enough to where I lose everything. And that's what upsets me too. I thought the guardian litem should have been removed at the beginning. And my lawyer said that could really upset the judge. It's like, so everything that helps my daughter and puts my daughter in a better position will upset the judge. There's a problem. It's a major problem. What is this about? Is this about my daughter or is this what's best for the lawyers? Because from what I see, this is all about the lawyers. It has nothing to do with my daughter. The judge has not, it has not been conveyed to him anything that's going on. The only thing that's conveyed to him through the guardian litem is that she stands behind him having sole custody without a reason. He doesn't, the judge doesn't ask for reasons. The guardian litem won't talk to, I've signed releases wanting her to speak with the psychologist that treats me presently and went with me to the hearing. And he was the head of the abusers group that my ex was in. And he also treated my ex. And he also does guardian litem training for domestic violence. So, yeah, she won't speak to him because she doesn't, the way I look at it, they don't want to know. Their mind's made up. They don't want to know. Right. And then the more you try to push it, the more you look like you're the one mm-hmm. is crazy because you're not getting your way. Right. Right. Is what it looks like from an outside because he's probably calm and cool. and Yes, he's very good. He loves this. This is his arena. He loves it. Or it makes me, I'm at my worst, shaky. And it takes everything I have not to cry. Right. All I hear is stories about myself that aren't true and that's pretty much our whole marriage he talked about me bad about me our entire marriage because then it made it so well he's not good to her but you know she's really difficult he may cheat on her but you know she's really difficult and hard to live with and it was the same with the physical abuse. It's like, well, it's not so much he's physically abusing her. He's trying to get a handle on her when she is going nuts. 
what people don't realize is none of that happened. It was never that. It was never him trying to calm me down. Many of this, his physical abuse happened in the middle of the night when he would come home from drinking and he would be pissed because he was married and he'd take it out on me. And he'd start, this happened several times, he'd yank the covers off of a dead sleep, hover over me and scream at the top of his lungs right in my face. Then what would happen is grab me by the ankles and yank me off the bed. That was what started everything. Whenever he was physically abusive, there was always dragging through the house by the ankles, holding me off the cat on over the catwalk like he was going to push me over the catwalk. Yes, and the, there's a group full of people out there that used to be my friends that think that he's misunderstood. And he basically has spun it to where I'm him and he, he's me. He says that I'm doing it for some sort of attention where it's the opposite. He's the perpetual victim. I don't want anybody to know. Everybody knows how horrible our marriage was because of him and he doesn't realize it. His thinking that I've told everybody he's physically abusive, he's so paranoid about that that he goes telling a story about how he only has to hold me down because I'm crazy. Nobody knew. I never told anyone. It humiliates me. I don't want anybody to know. I want it behind me. I don't want to think about it anymore. I don't want this to be my story. Me telling you this why I'm here today is to explain that I want it out and the system won't let me out. They have kept me in a domestic violence situation, the wheel of domestic violence. For seven years, we've been divorced and they're keeping me in it against my will. I've tried to explain them to a million times. We shouldn't co-parent. It's not for everyone. It's actually more harm on our daughter. Right. Mm-hmm. Our oldest daughter grew up, grew up thinking that that's how families operated. She grew up thinking that all men behind closed doors hit their wives. She's 32 now. We talk about it. She actually thought that. She has nothing to do with him anymore. Nothing. The last time they spoke was we were going through the divorce and he, he um, texted her to come in for a haircut. She's a barber. And she said, fine, I have time, but if you're going to complain about mom or talk about mom, don't come in. You never saw her again. And it's like they need, they want that circle of influence. They want to get people who will be on their side and give him, feed the energy. Like they need drama to survive. Absolutely. And what's happened for everybody enabling him with this, he's turned into an absolute monster where now he's not just a personality disorder. He's starting to come off like he has dementia or something, believe in his own lies. And it to me, it just comes off as completely nuts. He now is in a spot where he just says anything. It's, just, it's the truth. That's what they've done by enabling him. Does he have an actual diagnosis? Um, yes. the last, I haven't. His diagnosis when we were married was a a narcissistic personality disorder. And then when I had the at-home people in my home, the social workers from Tri-County, they said they saw more the narcissistic, they saw more sociopath and antisocial because narcissists are usually successful and failure is not an option. Whereas my ex-husband gets his success from taking from other people And that's more of a sociopath thing. The reason he was interested in me, my parents died young, as I mentioned, I had gotten an inheritance. That's the only reason he married me, to get my inheritance. And he did. He knew just how to get it. I had put my inheritance into a house. That's how my inheritance was. I had a paid for home that was mine. He got it from under me. He knew just how to do it. He did. I walked, I went into a, marriage with a a home a nice home a car that was paid for i left with absolutely nothing he got the house on the car that is a travesty when you walk into it with that typically that's not how it works or you leave with what you came with right it's usually share you know you split they gave it to them god only knows what he said to make my lawyer give in 
to his lawyer. I have no idea, but my lawyer through the divorce said that I was being selfish by not giving shared time, as I tried to say over and over again, but it's not safe for her to have shared time. It's not what's best for her. They just don't, a lot of people just do not believe there's an actual domestic violence. A lot of people, I was shocked to realize that a lot of people think it's an attention thing. I have been treated so poorly by a lot. And that's like, that's why when people, it's like, well, why are you just bringing it up now? That's why you're treated like dirt. If the man or if the abuser says they're not abusive, they tend to go more with that. I've noticed not just with myself, just being in these groups. It's very typical. What advice would you give someone going through that court system? Like what are things you wish you would have known at the beginning? You have to have an an attorney that knows domestic violence and knows mental illness so they can explain it to the judge first and foremost and make sure they have the credentials. Don't just ask and they say yes because they think they do because our guardian litem says that she knows knows about mental illness. She absolutely does not. That's the first thing. The second thing is, is make sure too, if there's a guardian litem, it's treated equal. The, the guardian litem, our guardian litem hold, held the only interview she had with our daughter in his home. And he has an open floor plan apartment, uh, like the modern apartments with the brick walls, the old buildings converted into apartments. It's an open floor plan. His ceilings don't go or his walls don't go to the ceiling. You can hear everything that's going on. So she held an interview by phone with my daughter in his apartment where she really couldn't speak freely. So I I don't think that's a level playing field. I don't think things like that should be allowed. And what you learn through this is everyone I try to call Missouri's chief justice counsel, they're there to protect citizens from attorneys. But when you call, no, they're set up to protect the attorneys too. I asked him if the guardian litem could take my daughter off meds and she's making a decline, she's suicidal. And they said, yes. And not only did they say yes, they just, they said it like this. Yes, yeah, she can, it's her decision. Just like that. It's like, okay, (laughs) there's nothing I can do. I've tried every avenue to save my daughter nothing. It's all on the guardian litem. So sad. And she doesn't even reveal things to the judge. The judge has no idea. How old is your daughter? She's 14 now. So you've got four more years. Four more years in the state of Missouri because they don't have the old child can speak to herself at a certain age. We don't have that Missouri. So she can't even go for an emancipation. Uh, It's heartbreaking. It's going to go on and on and on because of these bad decisions that the courts make, they just, they want to get it over and done with because of them continuing to do that keeps us continually in it. One piece of advice from my own situation that I would give to anyone listening is when you initially get divorced, Mm -hmm. don't give in on that parenting plan. It is so hard to change it. A lot of times you just want to get it done and you're just trying to get along and you're just trying to move past things they are so hard to get changed after the fact and expensive i did i told my lawyer when he said you know about the co-parenting that they had it in the parenting plan that we needed to discuss um when necessary and i told my lawyer i cried actually i said he is going to make me a slave to this you realize he's going to make me a slave this is going to he is going to bother me with this daily and he did what my lawyer, his exact words were, he was he was very arrogant. He put up his hand as for me to stop talking and closed his eyes like the pompous do and said, it's just on paper. Nobody follows it. That's not true, listeners. <laughs> That's not true. And with personality disorders, mm-hmm. it has to be so specific. You can't leave, an attorney should not leave something open, like we'll discuss when necessary, because they will make every moment of every day necessary. Right. And that's another thing with personality disorders. They won't stop. So everybody gives in to him. And that's been our life. Everybody gives in to him because he won't, he won't stop. He won't give up. 
And what I've been saying for, since this whole court process started, if someone said no to him in the courtroom, if he was told no to something in the courtroom, fireworks would happen. He's never been told no by the judge or the guardian litem, so they haven't seen his temper. And the number one thing that he can't hear is no. It sounds like he's never had any consequences for his bad behavior. And that's what the doctor that um, headed the pro- the abusers program said. She said, this is a man who has had zero consequence in his life. Zero. He takes accountability for nothing. He ran a stop, uh, ran a red light once. And I look at him and I'm like, you just ran a red light. He looked at me and said, that wasn't me. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so that's his level. Wow. Just entitled. So entitled. That's my main objective through all this is I'm not going to stop till I die is getting the state and the county out of parenting. And furthermore, the schools. I'm actually thinking of seeing if I can file something against the schools because unfortunately bringing lawsuits against people is what initiates change. And they've kept from growing and made school situations harder than they should have been by letting, listening to and getting in the middle. Schools should not be allowed to do that. We went to one school where I talked to the principal, fourth and fifth grade. He called me up on the phone and said, how can I help and have a successful year? He did this because my daughter's on a 504 plan. He's like, how can I help her? And I said, well, first off, the problems at home with need to stay in the home with family counselors and family attorneys. I don't want them part of the school. I don't want father to be able to use the school to help him with problems he has with me. And he said, absolutely, that shouldn't be done anyway. So he agreed with that. And then the second thing I said is if everybody, if you could, when needs personal space and doesn't want touched, if this could be honored. Said, sure thing. We had two great successful years with those two things. You'd be shocked at how many schools refused when I said he doesn't like to be touched or crowded. They said those are normal, typical childhood behaviors. She needs to learn it. You have to learn how to be touched. Think about that. She had a boy that nonstop touched her things in the third grade, drove her batshit crazy, touched her stuff, touched all over. And they continually told her he's nice. Basically, they were saying he's nice. You just have to let him do it because he's nice. That pisses me off so much because we immediately, from the very beginning, teach boys that you don't have to listen to no. Like, as long as Mm -hmm. you're being nice about it or, oh, he just likes you. That's why he's pulling your hair. Yeah. Not no means fucking no. (laughs) No is a complete sentence. Don't touch people. Leave people the fuck alone. They don't do that to boys, though. They think girls should change their behavior. Mm -hmm. Right. It's teaching her that her feelings doesn't matter. So she's not being seen, understood. It's just terrible. Yeah, first third third grade, they instilled in her brain that you have zero right here. You are at the whim of every other child. Well, it's also, it's gender-based. Like we teach girls from the beginning to be accommodating and kind and not stand up for themselves and not take up too much space. And it's just, we don't hold boys to that same standard. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, She also, I couldn't believe it. I'm 52 years old. I couldn't believe this still stands today. I was shocked. Mary also in her, her excelled classes, they're mostly boys and her opinions and theories are by the boys it's like wow still she's like yeah the boys have to be the smartest they have they have to be called the smartest it can't be a girl it's like wow i can't in this if you think of that on a larger scale when they get older and they get in relationships with abusers because they've been taught that you right should accept this behavior and we don't teach boys that no is no Right. And I have this in letter form from that teacher of sure he touches her things all the time, but he's a nice boy. It just says that over and over again, but he's a nice boy and she's mean about it. She made a comment about how he touched all her things. Then she got out sanitizing wipe and started wiping things off and how it hurt his feelings. Fuck off, kid. And then said if it was really a germ thing, I'd understand 
is what she said. How about it's a no thing? How about I don't want you to touch my fucking stuff? And I don't know any other way to communicate that to your dumbass. So I'm going to wipe it all down with Lysol in case maybe you pick up on that. Right. And she sent it in an email form and I can't believe it. And I'm also looking into if I can make that public about why we have problems with children in school. And this accounts for all the angry kids in schools taking away their rights as they're really small. That made her angry. Builds, 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 builds. Then by the time you're in high school and you have the puberty and the world's falling down on your head, you're headed to college, you know, that might account for some of these shootings. I don't know. Yeah. If we could really be more intentional about those things, like teaching girls that they own their body and they own their space and teaching boys to leave people the fuck alone. Right. And we reiterate that over and over again it would change things down the road like even with little things with girls how parents will say oh you can't wear that you know it it may be a small thing and i get sometimes parents reason but you're reiterating you don't own your body you can't make these choices for you you can't somebody else has an authority over what your body does right and it's just we, we reiterate it in so many little ways, kids' entire lives. Right. And that's what and that's what scares me. She's taught been taught her whole life. She lives for other people. Her feelings right. don't matter. What's more important is the feelings of everyone around her. And to cave right. to them. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so, not saying it only happens with girls and boys before I get hate mail for that. But <laughs> it is a societal thing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And matter of fact, sometimes it's boys are smaller in grade school. And it's actually sometimes I remember them getting picked on quite a bit. Yeah. Because boys are smaller than girls, usually in the fourth and fifth grade. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I understand that completely. But, you know, my daughter's very opinionated and she's not quiet. So it kind of puts her at the center. And that's part of the problem. But the good thing with that is it's not a bad thing. She's also a natural born leader and highly intelligent. The opinionated is going to pay off one day. Yep. But as a child, she's being shut down on it. And You're trying to silence her. Yeah, since day one. And I had an uncle, very intimidating. He was a sergeant major in the Marine Corps. And he pointed it out and he called it from day one. He met her when she was four years old. Only time he ever met her. And he was watching her and he's like, she's a natural born leader. You're going to have trouble with that. Didn't know what he was talking about. Then I called him back and said, how so? Because I started to see it. And he's like, the schools will try to break it over. That's their job. Right. Wow. And he goes, don't let them. She needs that. That'll make her, that will help her with much success in life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's a hard line, like as a parent, because you got to, you want to foster the strong will and you want to foster the leadership and you want right. to say, yes, like take up space. Say, but then you have to also balance mm-hmm. when is it a good time to use that? And sometimes it's not, but you don't want to break it. And parents that break it, it's like your daughter could have just run a company and right. now she's going to run a prison gang because you just shut it off. <laughs> right. You wouldn't yeah. like just let her be who she was going to be. Exactly. Yes. And that's the problem with the schools too. When you have like a situation, not only are the parents contentious and they'll get in the middle of that and stir it up and make it worse. If your kid isn't the typical straight down the line kid, um, they can make your life a hell over it, especially when parents don't agree. They'll tend to put us against each other because unfortunately with everyone, they make mistakes with kids that are on 504, it's because they're challenging and they're human. And that's what they don't understand. It's like, I understand some of it when you lose it and say, no way. They don't understand. Like, I will cut you some slack for that because I do understand. But they lie, which makes my daughter a liar, which is a problem. I think they just need to let kids be kids. Yes, They're too much trying to make them like everyone else to where it makes them angry and confused and once again that's what brings me to all these suicides in high school and this confusion depression shootings violence some part of me wonders if that plays a big part of it is how they're structured when they're young in school 
if it's yeah, like sure anger. Yeah. You never see a shooting in a Montessori school. You have a good point there. And that's what I've said all along. My daughter should have been in a Montessori school. Every kid probably should be. It's perfect for the non-typicals. And anybody that has a mm -hmm. child that doesn't fall into the typical range, autism, ADHD, or OCD, Montessori school. Is yeah, well, they teach them to be who they like. Help they help them be who they are and find their strengths, making them conform to something that they're not. Right. Yeah. Yes. So, where are you? Like, how has this all affected your mental health and other relationships? Um, horribly. I haven't been able to have a relationship first and foremost. Um, the first relationship I tried to have after the divorce, he reached out to the man's daughter and was sending her Facebook messages, um, planting seeds that I'm not a good person, disguising it in. I really care about my daughter and Maggie won't communicate with her. Can you let me know she's okay? But what he was actually doing was he was planting seeds so his daughter would be looking at me sideways and apprehensive about her dad spending time with this volatile witch. Your ex-husband is probably intimidated by her strong personality. Um, absolutely. And not only her strong personality, she has a higher IQ than him. Right. That's going to be a problem. Right. And the more, the older she gets, the more she's going to push back and the more he is not going to like that. He had told my daughter the same thing. What he tells them is that I'm crazy and one day they're going to understand. Told them both that. Tells my daughter, my youngest all the time, one day you're going to understand and see how toxic your mother is. And with my older daughter, because she witnessed physical violence he would tell her that I'm crazy and out of control. She doesn't see it. You just have to trust me. She's out of control. Your mom is batshit crazy. She's 32 now and wrote a letter to the Guardian Lightum. I see now that there, he couldn't give me a reason because there wasn't one. He would just say, trust me, you'll see it one day. Yeah, he can't give a reason because there isn't one. And he right. says the same thing to the younger one. One day you're going to see it. And she will, but it's not what he thinks she's going to see. <laughs> right. Well, all he cares about is the moment to get what he wants that moment. And why he's blowing smoke up the older daughter's ass is so that she wouldn't try to seek help. Or, and with this older one or the younger one, it's he's just trying to get out of the whole child support. That's his meaning for all this. He doesn't want to pay child support and he wants the tax credit. He tried getting full custody of the son he fathered while we were married. He didn't take accountability for it until the child was two. And it was because the mother of the child was asking, saying she needed some help with health insurance. And he decided to go file right then and there and file it in a way that she, he he went to the state saying, I think it might be my child, but I know, won't know. She won't tell me. He started all with a lie from the beginning. He wanted a blood test to see if it was actually his, but he worded it as, I think it's my child, but she won't tell me. And that's how he filed it with the court too. He filed it as a, this is my child and she's keeping me from him, which was 100% not true. He looked up and my older daughter was privy to this. We sat and watched him look up on the computer how he could get out of paying child support. And what he came up with is they will give you full custody if they think the other parent isn't um, facilitating a relationship and or flat out keeping you from the child, they will lose custody. So that's what he's tried with both of us. And as soon as the court process was, was over with his son, he never saw that boy again. He only saw that boy through the court process. He was two years old. Of course, he was apprehensive about coming over. And his mother, from the start, was saying it was parental alienation. The child isn't warming up because of parental alienation. And I said, though, the child's not warming up because he's two and you're a stranger. That's how right. two years are. Right. They refused to hear it. All that child saw was an angry man. When the boy's mother would pick him up, he would go off on the mother about parental alienation. All the boy saw was chaos from his father. 
and Bolin, and his mother, who was his sense of, you know, contentment and love, two-year-old, you know, loves his mother, sees a man yelling, of course he's going to be scared of that man. Right. Do you know, do you have a relationship with that boy's mother? No. A matter of fact, like, I, I, I don't know how to go about that. I would, my daughter would like to know her brother, her half-brother. And I said, you're going to have to do that on your own. It's, I don't think it's my place. And I don't know how she'd feel hearing about me because you have to remember, told her horrible things about me to where her initial thing was when he was coming over, she was really worried about her son being alone with me. Right. Which tells me like he obviously like there's no reason to fear your child being, I would never hurt anything, especially a child. Right. So, you know, he, he lied to her. He's the fear. She's the one. He's the one to be feared, not me. As I was the one that picked up the child when he was getting agitated. He was given a bath and grabbed him by the arm and yelled at him because he splashed. He's two. I shoved him out of the bathroom, finished the bath and said, he can't come over anymore. You're, you're, you're destroying him. Yeah. And I said, if you spend any more time alone with him, I'm calling Stacy and her attorney. I'm like, you're, you cannot be with him alone anymore. Or I'm calling. I should have just done that. I wish I would have called her attorney from the beginning. That's hard when you're living with that person though. But yeah, that's why I haven't reached out to her. Cause she thinks things about me that I don't know how she feels about me. She probably thinks I'm an awful predator. Um, that's why I haven't. So I've told Mary how she should go about if she wants to see her brother is reach out to the mom first, respectfully, and say, you know, I just want to be a part of his life. That's all. Not going to bring dad into it. Right. Dad won't know. And th the interesting thing is my ex's best friend, intelligent guy, said to him, leave the boy be. He has a family. You're just destroying him. Right. That's his best friend told him that. You're just destroying him. Because he saw it all. He's shown the kid is chaos. The kid had a great structured environment with lots of male influence. He had uncles. They live on a property out in the country. And everybody has a house on the property. Nice. Pretty cool situation. It's like, yeah, you don't need to take him away from that. He has a great life. Horses and all the kids on the property, the cousins. He has male influence. He doesn't, and that's what his friend told him. He doesn't need you. Stay out of his life. Good. Glad he did. Lucky for that kid. Right. <laughs> right. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today. Is there anything else you want to add for anyone listening or anything else? It's all kind of typical. All abusers kind of fall in. They're all kind of the same in many ways. And I guess as victims, I don't consider myself a victim anymore. All I consider myself as a victim of not being able to cure myself of PTSD because the state is keeping me in the in the domestic violence wheel and it's brought me down. I'm like in a deep depression where I see no light now because I feel like they've taken my life from me and I have no control over my life. And it's brought me back to living in a past when I had no control over my life. Triggering. And I was triggered and living in a horrible situation that hurt me and I'm there again, and I can't seem to get out of it than not having control over my life. And it just causes a deep depression. It's like I can't breathe. I take steps upstairs, and I have to take a break. I can't even catch breath from it. Right. It's debilitating. It's a debilitating depression. Yeah. I hope that the light at the end of the tunnel is not four years down the road. But if it is, there's still light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> right. Thank you, ladies, so much. It was a yes. pleasure. And thanks for reaching out. It was very cathartic. I yeah, enjoyed good. it. Good. I'm glad. Thank you so much. It's Someone's going to hear. And thank you for doing this. Yeah. You're welcome. And thank you for joining us. Yeah, I'm a fan. Good. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank yes, you. Take care. <laughs> you too. Yep. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it so much. If you want to support our show further, you can share our podcast with your friends. Follow us on our socials at NGCOMPod 
or sign up for our Patreon to help keep the show going with a donation. Or you can become a patron for exclusive access to bonus content and interact with us and other loyal listeners on our feed. Meanwhile, if you liked what you heard today, please leave us a positive review. If you didn't, no worries. Move on about your day. If you want to share your story on our show, please visit our website at ngcompod.com to fill out the contact us form. Thanks again for listening. 